0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Fort St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message The Olive Tree. All right. Well, last week, if you're with us, you know we studied the first half of chapter 11. And in the first half of chapter 11, Paul made this point very clear right up on the screen, God is not finished with the nation of Israel. You see, even though uh, for centuries they were a stubborn nation as revealed in the Old Testament, and even though 2,000 years ago they rejected their own Messiah as revealed in the New Testament, and even though after that rejection they were judged as a nation and dispersed all over the world for over 1,800 years before coming back to their land in May of 1948 as recorded in secular history. Even though all of that, the fact remains that God still has a special plan for his people. Question, why won't God give up on Israel? Answer, because he made a covenant to Abraham. 4,000 or so years ago, right around 1900 BC, God in his sovereign grace chose a man named Abraham and he gave him some really special promises. Those promises can be found in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. And here's what you need to know for purposes of our study today. Those promises to Abraham were unconditional and they were eternal unconditional, and eternal. And so God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm gonna make your descendants into a great nation. Abraham, I'm gonna be their God. Abraham, I'm gonna give your descendants a special piece of property called the promised land. And Abraham, through your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. In other words, through your descendants, your son isaac your son his son jacob and their descendants specifically from the tribe of judah i'm going to send a messiah i'm going to send a deliverer who's going to impact the whole world now that was around 1900 bc fast forward to about 700 bc still way before the time jesus walked the earth and you got a jewish prophet named isaiah and here's what he prophesied about the coming Messiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government, I love that, will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called. You guys help me out with the rest of the verse, go ahead. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And Isaiah continues now in verse seven. Of the increase of his, what's the word? Government. Aren't you glad Jesus is coming back to establish his government on the earth? I don't know about you, but I'm fed up, dissatisfied, disappointed in our government and human government all around the world. It's all completely failed. But Jesus is coming back, and when he does, and by the way, he's not coming back allegorically or symbolically, he's coming back literally, and when he does, the increase of his government and peace, there's not gonna be any end to it. Upon the throne of who? David. help me out. David, a Jew or a Gentile? A Jew upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. Help me out, 1000 BC, when David ruled over a kingdom. Was it a Jewish kingdom or a Gentile kingdom? Help me out. A Jewish kingdom. And so Jesus, the son of David, is coming back to sit on the throne of David to establish his government and his kingdom literally around the earth, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even how long? Forever. He's coming back. And yet people will say, come on, Pastor Mike, it's been 2,000 years. He hasn't come back yet. You really think he's coming back? Yes, I think, I know he's coming back. And by the way, I'm glad he's waited so long because if he would have come back earlier, I wouldn't have known any of this. In fact, I would not have been born, and you wouldn't either. Aren't you glad he's waited so we can be included in the kingdom? Is he really coming back? How is this going to happen? Last sentence. It'll happen. The zeal of the Lord will perform this. And so because God is a promise keeper and not a promise breaker, he will fulfill all of his promises to Israel. He'll fulfill all his promises he made to Israel through Abraham, through Moses, through David, through Isaiah, through all the prophets. What does that mean? It means God is not finished with Israel, not even close. So that, that, that was Paul's point in the first half. He continues along the same theme in the second half of chapter 11. So, so let's look at the last verse that we left off on from last week. That would be verse 15, so if you're looking right now at Romans eleven fifteen, just say amen so I know you're there. Okay, so if they're being cast away, that's the nation of Israel when they rejected their Messiah, is reconciling of the world when they said no to Jesus, the gospel went to the ends of the earth. Praise God, Gentiles, like most of us, could be saved. For if there, the nation of Israel being cast away, is the reconciling of the world, what will their, what's the word there? Acceptance. There's going to be a future acceptance, restoration of the, government, of, the, of the nation of Israel. What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? And of course, that took me right to the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37, but I didn't have time to talk about it last week. This week, so that could be a great reading for you. This week, Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel has this vision of all these bones in a valley. Can these bones live? Well, you know, Lord, preach to the bones. And Ezekiel starts preaching to the bones, and God breathes on the bones. They come together, sinews, and skin, and muscle come, and there's life once again. And then he says, Son of man, Ezekiel, these bones are the whole house of Israel. God's not done with Israel. And so now look at verse 16. This is where we'll start today. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. we got to stop right there and define terms. And so if you're taking notes, here's your next point. Just like Abraham was set apart to God so his descendants have been set apart to God. So Paul makes this point by using the illustration of the first fruit offering in Israel in ancient um, Old Testament times. And so, um, um, again, the Jews, well, they recognize, unlike our culture, (laughs) The Jews recognized that God was their provider. The Jews knew where their blessings came from, from God on high. And they wanted to honor God. They wanted to put him first. And so the way they did that was through the first fruit offerings. So that was an agricultural society. And so what they did is they took the first portion or first fruits of all the increase of their land, crops, etc. And they would give that to the priests, the Levites. That's the way um, they honored God by giving him first place with all of their increase. And that first fruit offering extended all the way down even to their unleavened bread. (laughs) Look at verse 16 again. For if the first fruit, in other words, the first portion of dough of the unleavened bread, if that first portion is holy, What does that mean? That means the whole lump is also holy. And so Jewish women, right, when they made that unleavened bread, they would take the first portion of the dough and they would dedicate it to God. How did they do that? They gave it to the Levites, the priests. The first portion of dough was set apart, holy to God. The first portion of dough represented the whole lump. And because the first portion of dough represented the whole lump, therefore, the whole lump was holy and set apart. You say, what does that have to do with God not being done with Israel? Everything. You see, when God um, was ready to do something new in the earth, he picked a man named Abraham. When God was ready to create a brand new nation, of men and women, teenagers, boys and girls who were dedicated, holy, set apart for his name. The first thing he did was he picked a man named Abraham. Abraham was the first fruit of Israel. And so with that in your mind, look one more time at verse 15. For if the first fruit, Abraham, is holy, then the whole lump, Israel, is also holy. In other words, if Abraham was set apart to God, then all Israel was set apart to God. What is the conclusion? Again, the same point. Paul keeps making and making and making. God is not finished with Israel. He has set them apart to fulfill a special plan. And now what does he he do? Right in the middle of verse 16, he changes the illustration from bread to bread. An olive tree. Look at verse 16, second half of verse 16. He says, and if the root is holy, then so are the what? The branches. And so the same thing. Just like the first portion of dough was holy and set apart, and so the whole lump was holy and set apart, so the root, if the root is holy and set apart, that means the whole tree, that means the branches are also holy and set apart. Guess who the root is? Abraham. Guess who the branches are? His descendants, Israel. It's the same point. God is not through with his people. Now, what tree specifically was Paul referring to when he talked about the root and the branches at the end of verse 16? What tree? Um, he gives you the answer at the end of verse 17. Okay, so if you have the New King James Version, um, on the count of three, I want you to say the last three words in verse 17. You ready? One, two, three, go. The The olive tree. In the context, the tree that Paul was writing about was the olive tree. In Jeremiah chapter 11, the Lord said this about Israel. He said, the Lord named you a flourishing what? Beautiful with well-formed fruit. And so one of the names that God gave to Israel in the scriptures was the olive tree. If you go with us to Israel in March, you'll see lots of olive trees wherever we go. But especially um, on the western slope of the Mount of Olives in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember Gethsemane where Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified? Uh, It's still there that's just a tiny small portion of it on the western slope of the Mount of Olives and we get to go there and spend like a whole hour praying and meditating and uh, sharing a devotional. But you see the olive trees, isn't it amazing? Those things are hundreds and hundreds of years old. Now of course, olive trees produce olive oil. Olive oil, which was a very important part of ancient Israel's um, economy. So for centuries and centuries, Um, People used olive oil for cooking and for lighting oil lamps and for anointing kings. And of course, most people love olives. I personally hate olives. I can't stand them. I can't stand the taste of them at all. I mean, olives to me ranks right up there with eggplant. It kind of makes me quiver when I even think about it, okay? But I know a lot of you love olives And you say, why in the world are you talking about this? Because I know that from time to time, some of you invite my wife and I over for dinner. And so please, please don't serve us olives because um, I'll probably pick them off my plate and give them to your dog under the table. But anyway, look at verse 17 now. And still speaking about the olive tree, if some of the branches, uh uh-oh, were broken off, And you, that's you Gentiles out there, being what kind of an olive tree? Doesn't that describe many of your days back in the B.C. times, right? And you, Gentile, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness, the sap and the nourishment of the olive tree. If that's you, Gentile, You've turned to Jesus as your Messiah. You've been grafted in to the olive tree. Verse 18, be careful. Don't boast against the branches. Don't look down on Israel. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Okay, we're going really deep, deeper than usual, okay? So stay with me if you could. If everybody could look up at me for a second. Paul gives the illustration of two different trees, he writes about a cultivated uh, olive tree. And he writes about a wild olive tree. And what Paul's writing about in verse 17 is he's talking about taking the branch from a wild olive tree and in, uh, grafting it in to a cultivated olive tree. Now, what's remarkable about what he writes about in verse 17 is that's just the opposite of what the ancient farmers did. That's just the opposite of what the growers did. You see, wild olive trees were useless. Why were they useless? Because they're fruit. If you've ever seen a wild olive tree, it's like these little, hard, knobby fruit, uh, pieces of fruit that give maybe a little bit of olive oil, if any. And so the wild olive tree was absolutely useless But the wild olive tree had something going for it. It had a very strong stock and roots. In other words, the wild olive tree, even though its fruit was useless, it better uh, held up in times of storm and high winds and drought. Okay? And so what the ancient growers actually did, just the opposite of what Paul's writing about in verse 17 is they wouldn't take a wild olive tree branch and graft it into um, a a good cultivated olive tree. They would do the opposite. They would take the cultivated olive tree branch and they would graft that in to the wild olive tree. Stock and roots. You say, why did they do that? Because they wanted to get the delicious, plump, juicy olives from the cultivated olive tree and they wanted to graft that in so they could have delicious fruit and the hardiness of the stock and the roots of the wild olive tree. But Paul comes on the scene, and what does Paul do? Paul turns the whole thing around, classic Paul. He turns the whole thing around, and he talks, talks about taking branches from the wild olive tree and grafting them into the cultivated olive tree. And people 2,000 years ago, no doubt in Rome, were scratching their heads thinking, Paul, why in the world would you ever do that? Okay? The fruit on the wild olive tree is useless. And if you graft that into the cultivated uh, uh, olive tree, stocking roots, it's still gonna be useless. I know I'm kind of giving a lesson on horticulture here, but here's what I found out when I dug in this week that if, if you take the branch of a pear tree and you cultivate it into uh, the stock and roots of an apple tree, guess what kind of fruits you get? Pears. The branch is just the branch. It receives nourishment and sap from the stock and roots, but it's, a branch, it's the branch, and so Paul, why in the It's little, knobby, useless fruit that produces hardly any olive oil. Why would you do that? Paul, listen, listen. It would take a miracle of God's grace for a wild olive tree branch to bear fruit if it's grafted into the good olive tree. And that was exactly Paul's point. It is a miracle of God's grace that a wild olive tree branch, i.e. Gentiles like most of us, it would be a miracle of God's grace that we could actually bear good fruit when we're grafted into the olive tree. How many of you guys are Gentile believers in Jesus Christ? Can I just see your hand if you're a Gentile believer in Jesus Christ? Okay, put your hands down. Now, how many of you Gentile believers in Christ are producing fruit? In other words, like the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, because of the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. If you're a fruit-bearing Gentile believer in Jesus Christ, please raise your hand. All the hands that are raised, you are a miracle of God's grace. Absolutely, you're a miracle of God's grace. You know why? Because you're a wild branch. So am I. And in and of ourselves, we can't produce good fruit. The only way that you and I can produce good fruit is by a miracle of God's grace. So, those of you who are visual learners, let me show you another picture by Farrell Jenkins. This guy went over the Holy Land. He took a bunch of photos, and so here you see a great example of new olive tree branches being grafted in to an old olive tree stump. And so, isn't it amazing? that the new olive tree branches get to be a partaker of the root and, the, and the, 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 the fatness of that olive tree. In other words, isn't it amazing that the new olive tree branches get to be partakers of the nourishment and the sap of the old olive tree? And it's the same thing with us, ladies and gentlemen, when we turn to Jesus as our Messiah and Lord, we probably used to be wild people. No fruit at all. And God, by his grace, takes us. And what does he do? He grafts us into the promises that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And we get to be partakers of the root and the fat, the nourishment and the sap, the spiritual blessings of Abraham because we have been grafted. In. Is this making any sense to anybody this morning this afternoon? Now, I want to make sure everybody's crystal clear, okay? And so let's define the terms. If you're taking notes, here's the terms and the meaning of the terms. The root, Abraham. The branches, the nation of Israel. The broken branches, unbelieving Israel and the wild branches that have been grafted in, it's about 95% of this church, it's believing Gentiles and so what happened, 1900 years before Christ, God was ready to do a new thing in the earth, he wanted to start a new nation so he picked in his sovereign grace a pagan named Abraham. He gave Abraham some very special and precious promises for him and his descendants. And sure enough, through his son Isaac and Isaac's sons Jacob, Jacob's descendants, a nation, just like God promised, emerged on the earth. It's called the nation of Israel. Those are the branches. And so what happened was at first everything's great, especially under the rule of David. Solomon, at least for part of Solomon's rule, but then as history continues to move forward in your Old Testament, the nation of Israel commits apostasy, they turn their backs on Yahweh, they begin to worship false gods, they're taken into captivity, the northern tribes to the Assyrian uh, captivity, southern tribes uh, to the Babylonian captivity, you keep on going, they're becoming harder and harder to the point where 2,000 years ago, Their Messiah shows up and walks on their soil. And even though some Jews, many Jews, believed in Jesus Christ, the nation rejected him, so they were broken off. That's unbelieving Israel. So what does God do? I'm sending the gospel to the whole world. And so what happened was God, in his grace, went to a wild olive tree. That's most of us. And he took us. And through his grace and our faith in Jesus, he grafted us in to the olive tree. And now what gets to happen in our lives, we get rooted into this olive tree and those precious promises that God made to Abraham. Hey, even wild Gentiles like me and you, we are partakers of those promises and those blessings. What does that mean? That means that Yahweh is our God, What does that mean? That means Yeshua is our Messiah. What does that mean? That the future kingdom that's coming literally to this earth, we are partakers of that kingdom. You say, Pastor Mike, why do you get so excited about this stuff? Here's why. Because as I look through the scriptures, I see the hand of God intervening sovereignly, even to a guy like me, who could care less about God, who could care less about his son. And yet in his sovereign grace, he picked me and he saved me and he put me into a tree. And I now am the partaker of the root And the fat and the nourishment and the sap of the promises that he made 4,000 years ago to a guy named Abraham. I get that. A wild branch. A Gentile. Man, here's the thing. If you would just get into God's Word, if you would just study it on your own, if you would just learn this book, you would see how awesome our God is. And you would see... That we're recipients of amazing, amazing grace. But most churches, most Christians don't have a clue about anything that I'm saying this morning or this afternoon. Because in their church, they hear a motivational speech instead of studying the word. Look at verse 18 now. Okay, if you're that recipient of grace as a Gentile, a wild olive tree branch, you've been grafted in. Look at verse 18. Do not boast against the branches. Stop looking down on Israel. Stop giving into the spirit of the world. What's the spirit of the world? Anti-Semitism. It's growing all over the world. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Here's your next point. Don't look down on Israel. Love Israel. It all started with them. A Gentile arrogantly says, I guess I'm better than those stubborn Jews, right? I'm up here in God's plan and they're way down here. And I would say, excuse me, have you forgotten that you were saved by grace? Have you forgotten that you're a wild olive tree branch and you couldn't bear any fruit on your own and yet God in his loving grace chose to graft you in to his olive tree? Ladies and gentlemen, we should not look down on Israel. We should love Israel. Why? Because as Paul said in verse 18, we don't support the root. The root supports us. What does that mean? That means, never forget this, the Bible that's open in your laps is a Jewish Bible. The Messiah who's coming back is a Jewish Messiah. And the future kingdom that's literally coming to this earth is a Jewish kingdom we don't support the root the root supports us we're just grafted in by god's grace and we get to enjoy abraham's covenantal blessings be careful about anti-semitism have you noticed it's growing in europe be careful about looking down on the jews Here's what saddens me is that for the last 2,000 years, quote, unquote, cultural Christians, the so-called church, have had different views about Romans chapter 11. And some of it spawned into a dangerous doctrine called replacement theology. Replacement theology, which says that God is done with Israel and the church has replaced Israel. God is done with the Jewish people as a nation. And that, when it gets into the hands of wicked and godly men, leads to things like the Holocaust. Be very careful. Be very careful about uh, these doctrines that float around the church that say that God is done with the nation of Israel. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. Look at verse 19. And you, arrogant Gentile in the context, will say then, well, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Okay, don't be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God, on those who fell, nation of Israel, severity. But toward you, Gentile, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Okay, so what's your next point? Here's what a summary of Paul's words there. Don't be presumptuous. If you really belong to the Lord, you should continue in his goodness. Now, some read Paul's words in verse 21. They get all troubled, right? Pastor Mike, wait, time out. I was here when you taught on Romans 8 all five weeks, okay? I heard uh, Paul write, I heard you say uh, from Paul's writings that nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is Paul doing now in chapter 11 telling us that we Gentiles should fear because if God didn't spare the natural branches, he may not spare us either. What's going on here? I thought nothing could separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, what's going on here is the sin of presumption. God said if he spared not the, the natural branches. Okay, again, from earlier, what was the definition of The natural branches. Well, that's unbelieving Israel. Now, follow me here uh, so you don't teach something that the Bible's not saying, okay? Unbelieving Israel. The nation of Israel. The Sanhedrin, which represented the nation of Israel that rejected Jesus, okay? What were they? They were cultural Jews. They were religious Jews. And yet, when their Messiah came, they didn't even recognize them. So, Paul is not contradicting in chapter 11 what he already said in chapter 8. Paul's a very bright guy. Okay, he, he wouldn't do that. What is he doing? What he's doing is he's uh, warning Gentiles not to commit the same sin the nation of Israel committed the sin of presumption. You see, in the first century, there were cultural Jews. Here's what they would say Of course, we're saved. We were born in Israel. We grew up in the synagogue. And not only that, we're descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet they miss their Messiah. And just the way there were cultural Jews in the first century when Paul wrote this, so there are cultural Christians today. And I hope I'm not speaking to any of them this afternoon. In other words, of course I'm a Christian. I live in America, and I live in the South. There's a church on every corner. Of course, I'm a Christian. My dad was a deacon, and my mom sang in the choir. I grew up in the church. Well, see, the real question is, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Is it just up here, or has it gone down here? Because here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, when it goes from up here to down here, what's gonna happen when you're truly born again, when you truly have a relationship, not a religion, but a relationship, that will produce fruit in your life. One of the ways that you know you're truly saved is you produce fruit. One of the ways you know you're truly saved is you continue in God's goodness. And so don't presume that you're saved because you were born in America or grew up in the church or because you have believing parents. The question is, the same question God said to a cultural Jew named Nicodemus, have you been born again? Because if you haven't been born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven don't commit the same sin of presumption that the cultural jews made in the first century and now look at verse 23 he says and they also unbelieving israel if they do not continue in unbelief good news they're going to be grafted in for god is able to graft them in again For if you, Gentile, were cut out of the olive tree, which was wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, these unbelieving Jews, who are natural branches, be grafted into their own tree? And so Paul says, hey, Gentile, you know who's boasting, right, Uh, the fact that you by God's grace were cultivated or were grafted into the cultivated olive tree listen if that can happen which is contrary to nature how much more a jewish man woman teenager boy or girl who hears that yeshua is the messiah and gives their lives to yeshua how much more natural and easy will it be for them to be grafted into the olive tree it's their tree I was so blessed in first service as I'm making that point right there. I looked over and there sitting in the back was Jack Kalen, a Jewish man who would for years drop his wife off, a precious Christian woman, drop his wife off at this church. And he would never come in. And yet some of the people here in this church began to make friends with Jack over the years. Not shoving anything down his throat, just living and loving him. And what happened was his wife got sick And when his wife got so sick, he said, if God raises her and heals her, I will give my life to Jesus Christ, a Jewish man. And guess what God did? He healed her. And guess what Jack did? He became a completed Jew. He gave his life to Jesus. And guess what? How beautiful, how natural, how easy it was for Jack to be grafted into the olive tree. Hey, It was his tree. Look at verse 25 now. He says, for I do not deserve brethren, desire brethren that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness, okay, what's the next two words? In part, partial blindness, has happened to Israel. Okay, so Paul, when's that partial blindness gonna be lifted? until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Here's your next point. I told you we're going deeper. The only reason we're going deeper is because Paul goes deeper in chapter 11. Okay, so check it out. The next truth, the nation of Israel has been partially blinded, but when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that blindness will be lifted. Okay, so why in the world would Paul say the nation of Israel has only been partially blinded and not fully blinded. Here's why: because millions of individual Jews did what Jack did. They gave their lives to Jesus Christ. But the nation, right now, if you go over there with us, the nation is still in unbelief. And by the way, most of the people in Israel um, they're not they're secular, humanistic, unbelievers partying in places like Tel Aviv. I'm not even talking about them so much as I'm talking about the religious Jews who pray at the Wailing Wall. The the, the nation, right now, there's still a partial blindness over the nation. They do not believe that Jesus is their Messiah. That partial blindness will remain on that nation until the, quote, fullness of the Gentiles comes in. What does that mean? That means that when the last Gentile gets saved... When the last Gentile turns to Jesus as his or her Messiah because God, who is sovereign, knows exactly how many Gentiles he has chosen before the foundation of the world. When that last guy or that last girl says yes to Jesus, we're out of here as the church. We're snatched up. We're taken into heaven. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 And then what God, the age of grace is done and God takes his focus from the church and puts it back on Israel. When the fullness of the Gentiles takes place, when's that gonna take place? When's that, well, when is the, um, more properly said, when is the blindness gonna be lifted from the nation of Israel? It's in verse 26. And so all Israel will be saved when when as it is written Isaiah 59:20 the deliverer messiah will come out of zion and he will turn away ungodliness from jacob for this is my covenant with them when i take away their sins and so here's your next point all israel will be saved when the deliverer comes his name is jesus all israel will be saved. Now, just so you don't misunderstand, we're not talking about all Jewish people who've ever lived. No, branches have been cut off. We're talking about those Jewish people who survived the horrors of the last seven years of history as we know it, called the 70th week of Daniel, in Daniel 9, or the tribulation. Those Jews who survived those horrors and are still alive when Jesus Christ, the deliverer, comes back. And when Jesus Christ, the deliverer, comes back, here's what Zechariah says is gonna happen. Still Old Testament, it shall be in that day, God says, that I will seek to, what's the word? I told you the tribulation is all hell breaks loose on this planet. I will seek to destroy all the nations that come up against who? Jerusalem, that's Armageddon, You can read about it in Revelation, the nations of the world in the last uh, series of, of battles called Armageddon gather against Israel, the Valley of Megiddo, right outside of Mount Carmel. He says, and I will pour on the house of who? And on the inhabitants of who? The spirit of grace and supplication, God's turning back to his ancient people. And they, Israel, will look on me whom they, what's the word? pierced. Ladies and gentlemen, that's in the Jewish Bible. That's in the Hebrew Scriptures. It's been there for thousands of years. When they, Israel, looks at the deliverer whom they pierced, who's that talking about? Jesus. But the blindness is so pervasive on the nation of Israel that there are still Jews today. That's not talking about Jesus. What? How much clearer can God be? You're gonna be there in the valley of Megiddo. All the nations of the earth are coming down to destroy you. Let's wipe Israel off the map. You're trying to tell me that that spirit right now isn't in the world today? Let's wipe Israel off the map. And guess who comes to the rescue? A man with nail scars in his hands. And he comes to rescue his people, Israel. And when they see him, the one that appears, they will mourn. It's a morning of repentance. For him, as one who mourns for his only son, they're going to think, my goodness, how hard-hearted our ancestors have been for 2,000 years. Yeshua really was and is our Messiah. And they will turn in faith to Christ and all Israel, every Jew alive at that point, the nation will saved and they'll be grafted back into their own tree is this making sense to you guys all right we're gonna read verses 28 all the way to the end of the chapter because we're out of time so we'll read and comment but stay with me all the way to the end because there's some gold nuggets here in these last remaining verses he says concerning the gospel they, Israel, are enemies for your sake. Lots of Jews in the first century who hated Paul and persecuted him for saying Jesus was the Messiah. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. That's the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, God's promises to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob cannot be. Be annulled. Verse 29 For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For as you, Gentile, wild branch, were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. They rejected the gospel, the gospel went to the world. Gentiles were saved. Verse 31 Even so, these also, that's Jews have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown to you, Gentile, they also may obtain mercy. In other words, when they see you, Gentile, love their scriptures, love their God, Yahweh, love their land, love them, no matter what they've done in the past, they'll be jealous and hopefully they'll turn to Jesus who told us to love our neighbors As ourselves, verse 32, for God has committed them all, that's all Jews and all Gentiles, to disobedience. Why? Because you can't get saved until you realize you're lost. He committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. And now as Paul um, just considers the sovereign plan of God to save Gentiles and yet still keep all of his promises to his people Israel, he, Paul breaks out into this doxology. He says in verse 33, oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him, he's the creator. And through him, he's the sustainer. And to him, he's the goal of our lives, not us, him. Are all things to whom be glory forever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Probably 95% of you are wild olive tree branches. You couldn't bear fruit any way, shape, or form, but God began to draw you into a relationship with Himself, and you heard the gospel. You heard that God's Son, His eternal Son, came to this earth to pay for the debt that you owed for your sins, and God's Son died on a cross in your place so you would not have to go to a place called hell. And the Spirit began to convict you of your sins, your sins that will damn you if they are not forgiven. And you saw that Jesus was the only way to be saved. Only by his blood can you be forgiven of your sins. And by simple faith, because of God's grace, you turned to Jesus. You gave him your life. You received him as your savior and Lord. And he came and he cleansed you of all your sins and he took you, wild olive tree branch, and he grafted you into his olive tree. And miracle of miracles, you began to produce fruit, plump, juicy olives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control contrary to your nature and my nature God's grace was at work in our lives and you and I as Gentiles began to receive the root and the fatness of the covenant that God made to Abraham Yahweh is our God Yeshua is our Messiah and the coming kingdom belongs to us if you are so thankful that God has intervened in that way in your life, can you just stand to your feet, put your hands together, and let him know how grateful you are that he is your God. Just stand to your feet. He's a good God. He's an awesome God. Now, One of the greatest gifts God can give His children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.